Imagine you're on a plane headed to a place you know nothing about, with the mission to teach children in the remotest area of Western Africa how to build a solar lamp, when you don't have a damn clue about how to do it yourself. Well, that's exactly what happened to me. It had been an hectic few months for my co-founders and me, the business was starting to take off and so did the number of projects we had to deliver. With everything that was going on, I had not been able to find a single moment to learn how to assemble those solar kits. I had no experience in teaching and knew almost nothing about the material I was about to teach. But I was determined to do things well and luckily the flight was long enough for me to convince myself that I was not an imposter. A few hours later, in the middle of the night, I touched down in Dakar, Senegal. Hi everyone, and welcome to Life on the Edge. We are Estelle and Remy, and we're filmmakers. In this podcast, we explore what it means to live a life with no boundaries. As we go on with our journey documenting original stories, we share with you the insights and wisdom of the people extending the limits of what possible means. In this episode, we are joined by Amin Kazimov, an entrepreneur and one of our closest friends, and certainly one of the most interesting people we know. While he was working on his startup, he also carried out a volunteer project in Senegal. He raised some funds, bought DIY solar lamp kits, and flew to Senegal to deliver and assemble them with school kids from remote areas of the country. He will tell us about this adventure and will talk, among other things, about how it is like to undertake a project of that kind in a place that you've never been to before. We'll learn about the challenges he encountered and how he solved them, and finally, what this taught him for the future. So, without further ado, let's get to the episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, I mean, thank you so much for being on the show. We're really glad that you took the time to join us today. Well, as our friend, it's not as if we really gave him the choice. <laughs> That's right. Look, we're way too excited to hear this story. So you're on that plane heading to God knows where with the plan to teach something that you have to teach yourself first. And you know, after 10 years of knowing you, I should already be used to that kind of thing. But for some reason, it keeps on surprising me. So tell us. How on earth did you end up in that situation? So at the time I was uh, finishing my studies, but I was also running my startup. And the funny thing here is that you did the problem price before. And one day you called me, I was in a parking slot and you told me, I mean, there's this humanitarian project you can take and do it that will be funded by the university. Now, the funny thing here is that out of a pool of 20k people, potential people who could have applied to the problem price. I think there were only five people who definitely applied. And I mean, you know, there's a saying that the heaviest weight in a gym is the front door. And I think that's what happened here. I mean, the biggest competition was just applying. Uh, so I applied. I applied with the idea of uh, doing solar kits because um, basically there was a guy in my co-working called Govinda and he had a business called Led Safari. He was basically selling solar kits and empowering NGOs to, to do solar projects in, in Africa, India, and all the places. I really love this idea and the way you're putting it. It's really about being open to what's coming your way. I mean, the thing is that uh, 
if you view the world, it's a very random place. There's a lot of opportunities and it's all about seizing them. So you had never been to Senegal before. So why Senegal? Is, is there a specific reason for that? Uh, why Senegal? Well, I think the first thing is that there's a real need there. 70% of the rural areas don't have access to electricity. So that's uh, an obvious pain point they have. But also, I, I mean, I was looking at the cheapest flights I could have from Switzerland because uh, if I could save more money for the project, it would have been better. And the last reason is that I knew a guy called Pascal. Uh, he's from Senegal, but he actually lives in Switzerland. And uh, he was determined to the success of the project. He basically helped me organize everything. So Pascal played a big part in this whole adventure. He was the one who looked through his network to find people who could join and help us with the project. The day after I arrived in Senegal, he introduced me to the crew he'd put together. First, there was Tafa, a history and geography teacher and one of the most reliable and well-meaning people I've known. The kind of person you're glad to have by your side. He had a very good network in the education sector and was the one who introduced us to the schools. Then Dami, a tall guy with an effortless authority in class. He was also a teacher and beneath his impressive looks, he had a seriously hilarious sense of humor. He was joining Tafa in the discussions with the school principals and was making sure the classes were going smoothly. And finally, Saliou, our driver. He understood French but couldn't speak it and he's the one who taught me the few words in Wolof that I know today. Nangadef. The schools where we were bringing the solar kits were outside of Dakar and close to a place called Kermusa. So we packed our stuff, said goodbye to Pascal and our little crew hit the road. After about an hour, we arrived in Kermusa. There we needed a place to stay. We strolled down the streets covered in copper-colored dust until we saw a little motel on the side of the road. It was called Le Bélier and was probably the only motel in the area so we didn't have much of a choice. The rooms were small but cozy and apart from the gigantic lizard who decided to share my room on the first night, I mean it was a pretty good stay. Wow, you were off to a very good start. Now, how important was it to have those guys with you on the project? I'm sure it was, but can you give us examples? Well, it was absolutely crucial. I think it's as much my project as their project. Because the thing is that, imagine you're a foreigner, you're coming to a country, you know, nobody, nothing. And, uh, and they basically helped me navigate the chaos. And the thing is that, uh, um, alone, those kind of things, you cannot do it. It's not possible. You absolutely need some people there. So they really helped me, I mean, shape uh, the project and introduced me to the right people, helped with the kids. Uh, I'll give you one example. Like I had the assumption that every school had electricity, but it was not the case. So like they really had to find people who can bring electricity for for soldering machines. Uh, I had to bribe some people. They told me it's fine. I mean, all those kind of small things they add up and uh, alone. I mean, you couldn't do it. I think. Man, that's so cool. So now you're in Senegal. Your team is ready, you have your solo kits. And honestly, at that point, I really want to know like, about the crunchy part of the story. Like, how did things go? Yeah, I don't know, like, tell me about your first day of school. So you want a story? Here's one. 
It was a hot sunny day. I had spent the previous evening untangling, cutting and counting wires in my room. I had packed them in 20 separate pouches and each of them contained everything necessary to build one lamp. I put all the kits in a bag and we were ready to head straight to our first school. The school was a very regimental building, standing in the middle of a sandy clay court where kids were playing. When we arrived, Tafa started by introducing me to every single person. In Senegalese culture, doing otherwise would come across as very rude. So after 30 minutes of cheerful introductions and handshaking, I finally got into my first classroom. The serious stuff was starting. As I was standing before the blackboard, I couldn't help but wonder if I had missed something. There were supposed to be 20 kids in the class, and now there were little more than 50 pairs of eyes staring in my direction, waiting for me to start the class. I wasn't an expert in microtechnics, but I had prepared an introduction class with all the theory and was pretty happy with it. So I got started, the kids were very receptive. They were quietly listening to me and watched as I drew schemes on the blackboard. I explained the basics of energy, how the plus and minus worked, and other things they needed to understand to build the labs. Once the introduction class was done, it was time to get our hands dirty. I distributed the kits. The students worked in group since I only had 20 kits with me. Once each group had their little pouch in front of them, I started the demo. First, they had to find the battery and put it in the right placeholder in the plastic mold. Then they had to take the wires out, one by one, and make knots in the right places. While the kids were replicating what I had just shown, I would walk between the rows with several other teachers to make sure each group was getting it right. When some kids were getting overly excited, Dam was always quick to remind them what they were here for. I mean, overall the class went well until it was time for soldering. It wasn't until I took the soldering stations out that I realized we had only two plugs in the room. Two plugs means two soldering stations for the whole class. Fast forward five minutes and I'm standing there with a soldering iron in my hand. It's over 35 degrees Celsius outside and there's 20 kids clamped around my desk watching me as I make the first soldering point. Needless to say, it was hot. After I first showed them, I gave the iron to the kids one by one and helped them with the soldering while another teacher was doing the same with the other group. It was really cool to see those many bunches of wires turn into actual light bulbs and I think the kids were at least as happy as I was. As we were wrapping up the class, we tested the lamps to make sure they all worked and then it was time to leave and let the kids get back to their schedule. And that was it, the first day was over. That evening, I spent some time with Tafa and then headed back to my room to prepare the next session for the next day. And you did this for four schools? Four schools. All in the same area? Yeah, more or less it was. Man. And now that it's done, what did the experience teach you? What did you learn or discover? So, what did I learn and discover? Well, I mean, I think you could summarize in this way is that um, what the mind forgets, the hands remember. So. The kids, by building those lamps themselves, I mean, they learn more about electricity and how things work than they would have uh, with books. And uh, one guy was telling me that uh, they had all the theory of the world, I mean, because bits are free, but doing it, experimenting is hard because atoms are very expensive, especially there. 
So, uh, I mean, they were super grateful and I think uh, what moment I appreciated the most is when a child discovers that uh, science is like magic. I mean, when they see the lamp light up for the first time, it's like a moment of magic for them that I'm sure they will remember for a very long time. It's like, and I, you know, I was telling them, guys, I mean, go to science. Science is the answer. They will, it will solve the country's problem. And basically, uh, if you build things, people will enjoy it and they can use it. You just build a lamp right now and that's only the beginning. I mean, if you go this path, you can learn almost anything. And who knows, someday, I mean, some of you can build rockets. I mean, uh, uh, it's entirely possible, I think. And uh, it helped me realize that everything around us is, is built by people. And the thing is that it's a series of random events that brought something good. And so I think that like, never underestimate where things can go so it always it always starts with a small step by a yes and then it can end up i mean nicely so if there's an opportunity just grab it so yeah on top of that i got to visit all uh this area and i think it's a very beautiful place people are very nice we were near the paris dakar rally so it was a rally that was started i think in the 80s even before maybe and uh, basically they were taking like sports car and driving from Paris to Dakar and uh, it brought a tons of economic activities in the region and there's still the sandy dunes that you could uh, ride in a jeep and, uh, and I think the jeep was like older than my grandfather so it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite a nice experience and there was also a lake called the Pink Lake and here, I mean the crazy story is that it's the saltiest place on earth and uh, I had the misfortune to open my eyes underwater so the thing is that my friends told me not to do it, but you know, sometimes you get to try things to understand them, right? So uh, I understood it the hard way. So uh, then I also explored the markets in Dakar, and here it was amazing, because I had someone ask me to bring a pin, you know, this kind of small country pin that presidents put on their suit. I mean, like, look, Dakar is like one of the largest markets in Africa, and I was looking for such a small thing, I mean, a pin, it was so ridiculous. And I had to explore and roam all over the market, I spent the whole day, but finally I found like one shop, one guy who was selling it, and like we negotiated and discussed for almost 20 minutes, there was a crowd around us, uh, and yeah, it was, it was pretty intense, but at the end of the day I got my pin, I was happy, he was happy too, and then uh, yeah, so that's uh, pretty much the Senegalese experience. <laughs> Dude, that really sounds like a hell of an experience, honestly. And it really makes me want to go there. And now that you've been through this adventure, would you recommend to people to undertake similar projects? And if yes, why so? I mean, fundamentally, it depends if you want to have a life that has flavor on it or live it blandly. I totally can understand the idea of staying in one place safe, but like at the other end, if you were to play a video game, you would explore all the quests available. So why not do it in real life, right? You know, I think an interesting way to live this life is to put yourself in a situation where you don't have a choice but to grow. Because as humans, we will always procrastinate and we'll always tell ourselves tomorrow, next year, and it will never happen. So when you have a strict deadline and you have absolutely no choice to deliver because you said yes and you made a promise, that's where you have to figure out stuff. Look, it's like jumping from a cliff and then build your parachute. But unlike uh, the parachute story, you won't die from here, right? You will meet nice people, uh, have a nice experience, eat new foods, and just have fun. So yeah, I think that uh, the best advice is like, just do it. 
Honestly, that's amazing, and I think that's what we all wanted to hear. And now, what's waiting for you? I mean, I know what's waiting for you because we are kind of best friends and we know everything about each other, but I still have to ask you the question, so yeah, tell us about your next adventures. Any crazy adventures in sight? Well, I tend to think that the best adventure is always the next one. So the thing here is that this was a humanitarian project and I, I hope to continue it in some ways. But the thing is that my main activity is to run a company called Brandfetch. We, it's basically a brand search engine. We're making brands easily accessible and connected across multiple tools. And uh, it takes a hell of a time to build a startup. You have to be really focused on the details. There are a lot of things going on. But it's going forward and I really hope that it will allow me at some point in my life to invest more heavily in humanitarian things. Yeah, we've seen just how hard you guys have been working on this project and really it's very inspiring for us to have you around. We can't wait actually to see how far you guys will go and I think it's gonna be something great. You guys really deserve it. We are super proud to have you as a friend. And yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share this story with us. Oh, it was my pleasure i really enjoyed it and uh yeah i mean thank you very much stay safe stay dangerous thank you so much everyone for listening we would love to hear your thoughts about this episode and if you could take a few minutes of your precious time to leave us a review on apple podcast it would mean the world to us take care and we'll catch up soon for the next episode Bye.